Hi, I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate. And welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Hello, friends. How are you today? Very well, Julie. Thank you. It, happy 2021. We are yeah. happy new year. Happy new year. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. First recording of 2021. Wow. Very exciting. Everyone is super hopeful for 2021. <laughs> there are some wonderful memes out there about it. And, um, you know, so long as it's not quite as bad as 2020, I think people will be thrilled to bits. Yeah, that's a good point. It is a good point. I just hope people... Don't get their hopes up. I would hate to 365 days from now look back and be like, remember when we thought 2020 was bad? (laughs) (laughs) What are you anticipating happening, Kate? Well, I'm not, I feel like I'm just not anticipating anything. I'm not, I have, I am um, cautiously optimistic and I'm not being a pessimist about this year. Just a very, you know, and I do feel like, you know what, if if nothing happens, that might be a really good thing. And maybe it won't take a lot for it to be a lot better than 2021 or 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just am uh, not going to dive right in with, you know, head first. <laughs> I'm going to. On the uh, optimism for 20. Well, you're right. I mean, that's because like really nothing was immediately going to change at you know at the turning of the clock at the there. turning of the clock which I I was a I'm a little skeptical that people don't realize that <laughs> <laughs> well are either of you um resolution makers or do you do some planning at this time of the year for the year ahead yes I'm a resolution maker this year is the first year I am not making any resolutions. Okay. However, I am a planner at the change of every season. Mm. So I do like the idea of setting some goals, and but New Year's resolutions in the sense of the, the word, no. How about you, Kristen? Um, well, Julie, <laughs> I am... I typically do like to make New Year's resolutions. I thought this year was a little bit interesting because yeah, like I think it's good to like not have, I mean, there's obviously lots you can do, you know, if you wanted to do an online course or something like that, but it's interesting to have to like make resolutions that you have more control over, like on an internal level. Um, It's just a different approach. And so I haven't actually made any yet, but sometimes it takes me an extra couple of days, but I did, we did do an exercise, uh, that was like at church, at church this morning, which I was not anticipating. It was like about a finding a word for the year that you're kind of like holding on to. And so my word that I'm trying for the year is um, peace. 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 Great word. For it is a great year. word. Thank you. Just, I resonate your sentiment though, that goals for the year and resolutions for the year, it is so much more within our control within our control. Like, I feel like all of mine are much more inward facing or more 
home home based maybe yeah. is the right way to say it um and they're perhaps more attainable oh For sure, because I think yeah I completely agree and um I hope that they are more attainable because people are making them the things that they can control yeah 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 and not just kind of write down and hope for yeah, yeah. that's a good point did anyone like I don't, I couldn't, I don't know if I wrote mine down last year. Like, did anyone look back at maybe what last year's were and see how like, like, <laughs> um, you know, what's funny is for me last year, um, yeah. at the, at just so January, 2020, I had a strong focus on financial management. Mm. So uh, evaluating the household spending and budgeting and what that yeah. looks like. And, um, and because of, the fortunate fact that both uh, my spouse and I kept our jobs this year. We were not commuting. We did not pay daycare for a lot of the year. Um, So it was actually a really good year on the financial front for our household. I know lots of other households weren't as fortunate, but um, so for me, ironically, I think I get a little check on that. You you secreted COVID into existence, Julie. (laughs) Just no. kidding. No. no. Just kidding. <laughs> that's cool. That that's good. Yeah. Kristen, shall we get into it? Yes. Yes, we shall. Um, so my topic today is a little bit on track with what we were just talking about. I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers the other day about, you know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic there was this whole like there, I mean, there was an optimism of the world changing. I don't know if you remember that video that was like very, um, that storybook video. Did you guys see that? Thing? It was kind of, kind of viral-ish where it was like this guy who was like, in 2021, we realized all these things, or 2020 rather. And it was like very optimistic about all these real, like deep realizations we're all going to be having. Um, and, you know, obviously some things have changed, but uh, it looks like a lot of things aren't changing. People are like just keen to get back to exactly what they were doing before. Um, but the one thing that I said was, is that I think I believe that our approach to work might be one of the things that actually changes quite a bit. And so um, I thought I would dig into that a little bit. Um, so I was reading an article of BBC um, and they were just asking some questions about like, what does COVID mean for the workplace? And so there were some of the questions they were asking is how many people actually want to work in offices? And I don't know, I've seen a lot on LinkedIn. I don't know if you guys have seen it where it's like, you know, uh, like it if you want to go back to work, whatever, if you want to do a hybrid and something else, if you want to work from home forever. And um, I've seen some people with the hybrid idea. I haven't seen a lot of people like, nope, I want to go back to the office full time, Monday to Friday, nine to five. How about you guys? I have... I can think of two coworkers who the second they were allowed to be back in the office were there every day back to, you know, nine to five, whatever their hours were and were very keen. Um, They were, I could have called out these two individuals before the pandemic because they're kind of old school in their approach to work. So uh, I know of two. Um, I know of a few who want to stay home, but I think that many are in the hybrid camp. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think 
especially after what happened in 2020, you want to be able to work from home because you don't want, you, you know, the ability not to go into an office to end your employment, right? So, um, but I think when people were forced to work from home full time, you realize how much, sure, you might get a lot more done in, in shorter period of time, but there is something to say about that social aspect of work. Um, and so I think the majority of people I know and myself um, would be interested in a hybrid. And I can say as somebody going into 2021, currently unemployed and looking for something new, I will absolutely be looking for something that can be done from home. Um, but it would be nice to still have that separation um, and yeah. be able to do do both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So some of the other questions that came up was about, and and as we get into it a little bit more too, like I think um, gender plays into it too, just the ability uh, of there being remote work being better for, I mean, this is a very traditional way, but, you know, for women to have a little bit more flexibility sometimes. And that even um, in a survey of fathers in Canada, uh, that men, if like, if, 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 both partners are staying home that fathers are maybe doing more with the kids or around the house. And so that this might change um, the way that this ability to do remote work might change um, gender equality a little bit. Um, and then they talk to you about like what you just said, the heart, what, what about the heartbeat of the office? Like, how do you maintain that? Like, you know, there's people that I work with now that, you know, I, I have zoom calls all the time. I see all my, a lot of my colleagues a lot, but there's people that I would see in the, lunchroom that I just like don't come across you know what I mean and maybe even a casual conversation that could lead to something productive about work so um one gentleman was just talking about how like as organizations emerge and the competition for like the best skilled employees like the people who strike that balance really well are going to be the ones who are the most successful uh, most likely going forward so I wanted to look a little bit about what got us into this whole uh, Monday to Friday nine to office kind of work. So going back kind of around the world, I guess the worldwide, the average is very much on par with what we do, about 40 to 44 hours a week. Um, some places in France, it's 35 hours a week. And then this is off of Wikipedia, up to 112 hours per week in North Korean labor camps. That's kind of the span. Oh, of I did not look into that one. That, that could be probably a whole nother topic on its own. Um, but uh, just the idea that you know, up until the Industrial Revolution, um, we were more so people worked the land or in crafts in a relatively independent way. Like the earliest um, Homo sapiens, I think as 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 early as we started having tools and differentiating ourselves as a species, uh, we started getting into job specialization. Something I find really interesting always is that idea of like you're in a group and someone's like you're the best at doing this. You should run off and do that. Like just how different that is now. Um, but um, that obviously as, as things evolve um, as organ, like the earliest phases of work had nothing to do with class or anything like that. But of course, as our society evolved um, becoming more sophisticated or um, more tools, more different things to sell, obviously we became more and more, um, class-based and um, managerial. So um, bar bones of large animals killed by hunters have been found in sites in, upper, in the upper Paleolithic period about 
40,000 BCE to about 10,000 BCE, indicating a high degree of organization at this early stage of the human race. But I think when our lives really, really changed, started changing was um, the Industrial Revolution, which I'm sure we, if you guys took sociology, <laughs> um, kind of that idea of the uh, principles of Frederick Taylor, the scientific management theory, which defined the worker as being an integral part of a well-oiled machine. So everyone would do one thing, forever and ever, and that would be kind of their their skill. Um, the evolution, the industrial revolution made it possible for a larger segment of the population to work year round, partially because of lighting. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could be in a space with lighting. Um, oh, right, of course. You know, and, and being able to gather in one spot. And then, um, of course, the, I, I didn't do research deep into this, but, you know, of course, collective agreements start coming into play. But um, records indicate that work schedules as much as 12 to 16 hours per day, six to seven days per week were practiced at some industrial sites, Yeah, which is crazy. Um, another study that I think about a lot, even just in my day-to-day -day work and something that kind of changed the thinking behind. So industrial revolution started with this idea of man is kind of machine. And I don't know, do you remember that? It was the Hawthorne studies. So this group came into this plant to... Um, talk about um, uh, productivity and, and all that. And so they were kind of like asking all these employees, you know, what, does this light fixture make a difference in your work? Or like just trying to figure out like what different factors was were making people better machines or less better machines. And what they slowly started to realize is that people were really responding to people asking them questions. <laughs> like, what do you think? And that productivity was actually... Um, increasing because they were feeling like kind of like consulted in like a weird way you know and that it wasn't because the lighting was at 60 percent and and that and so uh it's just I just find that so interesting kind of the uh idea of going from such an extreme of thinking of people as kind of machines to this idea that we're human beings coming to work every day and what that might how that might impact our productivity because well, that's so interesting that that's what they discovered that it was you know, in asking the questions, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't about the answers to the questions whatsoever. It yeah. was about just feeling like a part of it, which is such a big piece of yeah. you know, how I feel a lot of companies are kind of moving towards, they want to, you know, make their employees feel a part of yeah. the bigger picture. Absolutely. I know. And I find that, yeah, because and I even think about sometimes that, you know, like the, these are such old concepts, like the uh, the scientific management theory was in 1911. And then this, these uh, Hawthorne studies are in the mid 1920s. And I take, like, I, even sometimes at work, you're like, oh gosh, you, you know, we're not like, we're people who are coming to work. <laughs> like we're not machine people, you know what I mean? And so it's interesting that it's still like something that a lot of people have, like it's still a mentality that it very much exists out there, right? Julie, did you want to say something? Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm thinking how, you know, when, when we take engagement surveys that, yeah, the survey itself is, is the productivity booster, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm also thinking that it's fascinating that, you know, when the industrial revolution occurred and there was all these new technologies that allowed us to all of a sudden work like as groups mm -hmm. in offices and factories um, all, and then we're kind of through technology starting to undo that. 
Oh yeah. You're, that's a really interesting point. It is. Yeah. 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 The technology that brought us together is now pushing us apart. Our original state of, you know, when we were all craftsmen or farmers and, you know, I know. We- you know, we would still bring our wares together in a market type of setting, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think that, and you know, we so often talk about the gig economy. Well, yeah. sounds like the gig economy is as old as man. Like, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just, I was, and this is like on a side, but even just the thing about what I was talking about earlier, like, um, how different it is. Like, we get to go to school and pick whatever we want to do with our lives, and and like you know, if, if we were in a more traditional society or old school artisan, like you're not going to sell any of your wares if you're terrible at it. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like it's just it, like, if, if, if my society got to decide, Kristen, you're pretty good at this and this is what you're going to do. I wonder how different what we would pick for ourselves. Is yeah. yeah. What we choose for ourselves kind of thing. Um, but the, the evolution of the eight hour workday, and this is something that I did not know at all. So kind of what you were saying, Julie, like the factories there was this feeling as the industrial revolutions that the factories needed to be run 24 seven. Cause now they had all these fancy machines. And of course, the more they put out, the more money everyone's going to make. Um, but it was a leader, uh, like a Welsh activist, Robert Owen, who actually advocated for shorter work days in 1818. His uh, slogan was eight hours of labor, eight hours of recreation and eight hours of rest. And that was kind of the first like, talk I guess of this eight hour work day interesting and sorry what year was that it was in 1817 oh wow I know that seems like it would that seems like a really long time ago for uh, I know. <laughs> what is probably still thought to be a, a good you know yeah yeah and it's <laughs> so depressing because now it's like okay you, you worked your eight hours a day and then I don't know when you're, you're a couple hours before you go to work and a few hours after are your recreation time, which I mean, yeah, obviously it's not necessarily, and then you have eight hours to sleep <laughs> and then you start it all over again. I've worked kind of full-time, you know, for a long time. And, um, I remember when I, we used to have this opportunity to work on a Sunday and then I would get a different day off during the week. And I was like, that was my freedom. Cause I was like, I'm not locked in a Monday to Friday, nine to five. Cause I have my one day off, even though I'm still working the 40 hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I have my flexibility of my one day. I find the idea of working Monday to Friday, nine to five, just being so like heavy. Really? Yeah. Like I like being Monday to Friday, nine to five. I don't want to be like nights and evenings and weekends. I just like the idea of not having flex time or, you know what I mean? It just, or like one week of vacation, I find like just stressful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess I would completely agree. And I'm actually coming from a place of, because my, my last job that I was at for seven and a half years was so flexible. Yeah. If somebody said you can only do your job between these hours, yeah, this time, like throughout the week, and like can't, yeah, without flexibility, I uh, yes, I would be very um, constrained. Yeah, and I think like my first job was very time oriented because it was for um, nurse scheduling, so it was like I had to be there. So it was like, and it was unionized, so it was like you don't work any extra hours. So I was like, you had to be there at eight. If I was five minutes late, I was in big trouble and you leave at 4.15 and you don't stay later just to finish a couple things up. So, I mean, definitely now it's so much different in terms of flexibility, but I like that idea is just like, so like 
it just feels like a lot for the job that you're doing now right but I mean there are there's a lot of jobs out there that are you show up on time you leave at a specific time and it's not um it's not uh results based it's within that time frame right exactly and I think we've learned this year that so many of that type of job are the essential workers yeah yeah that's a very good point so oddly enough though the eight-hour movement didn't come become a standard until nearly a century later. So we were talking about 1817 wow. until 1914, when the Ford Motor Company astonished everyone by cutting daily hours down to eight while simultaneously doubling wages, which they weren't like ma- like paying them a heck of a lot more. It was just the fact that they were essentially getting the same amount of money for, for less time. And the result was increased productivity, of course, because people weren't... <laughs> weren't burnt out. Were, like, burnt out. They probably, like, had some enjoyment in what they were doing, felt maybe a little bit appreciated. Um, and so... Yeah. I wonder if their safety record improved as well. I believe so. Um, <laughs> one of the things they point out is he needed, he realized he needed his workers to have leisure time to go on trips and enjoy and buy the cars they were building. <laughs> so it's interesting that... Um, you know, that takes a whole hundred years. So even though we maybe knew that things that that might be like a better way of doing things or suggested that might be a better way of doing things. I I kind of think of it the way it is now. Like I think, I think on like a global scale, employers thought that if their employees were working from home, they would just do nothing. And I think people are finding the opposite or at least the same that, you know, they're being at least as productive, if not more productive. And that, you know, when people go home and work from home, they're not just going to be watching TV all day. And I think that came, unfortunately, as a surprise. And you see why, like, sometimes maybe you need something like this kind of a, I, I, I don't think any of this was done by any kind of a big thing happening, but to change people's perception sometimes. It, it either takes a pandemic or a hundred years. <laughs> you pick one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, but to the to that point, it probably, there have been people saying for a really long time, years, I'm sure, about how, you know, if you give your employees the flexibility, um, they'll, like you said, kind of prove you wrong. Not as many people will take advantage of it as you may think. Well, exactly. And it was funny because they were, um, so uh, according to, this is an American study, but according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average American works 8.8 hours a day, yet in a study of nearly 2,000 full-time office workers, they revealed that most aren't working for most of the time they're at work. Yep. (laughs) Uh, So the the most, this is funny, the most popular unproductive activities listed were reading news websites for an hour and five minutes, checking social media, 44 minutes, discussing non-work-related things with coworkers, 40 minutes, searching for new jobs, taking smoke breaks, making calls to partners or friends, mixing hot drink, making hot drinks, texting and instant messaging, eating snacks and making food in the office are just some of the things that when we're in the office that we're doing that aren't work. Oh yeah. <laughs> and research suggests that in an eight hour day, the average worker is only productive for about two hours and 53 minutes. Oh, wow. I had heard five sort of anecdotally, but two in a bit. So I'll get into a little bit. There's like, um, there's thought that maybe uh, six hours might be like a really 
into, we can be kind of intellectually productive for about six hours of a day. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that, if that, I don't have that stat, like if working from home, we're actually working a lot more. It, that does seem fairly low. If you look at an eight hour a day, I hope I'm working more, but I mean, you know, even when like even a couple, you know, like when they're talking about emails or such, like clicking around in your email, I mean, technically you're working, but you know, they meant like actual productive, productive hours. Yeah. So um, the other thing about the eight hour workday is that it really doesn't reflect um, our bot, like our um, body and how we are actually able to focus. So for you guys, like, how would you describe your, your productivity and when are you the most alert during the day? First thing in the morning, I am the most alert and the most productive and the most ambitious. Oh, but that dwindles significantly, I would say by mid morning and then come the afternoon. I I might, you might as well send me home. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find that that's similar to how you are? Yes, I am definitely a morning person. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, have work colleagues who know, don't book afternoon afternoon meetings with me, especially if it's to have like intellectual discussions or planning or anything like that. Yeah. I am not good in the afternoon. Yeah. How about you, Kristen? Are you a morning person? Well, yeah, interestingly enough. uh, And I know, I know that everyone's not the same, but what you're both saying and how I feel is um, actually in tune with our circadian rhythm, Mm. which is a 24 hour cycle that is part of our body's internal clock. Oh, so although our managers expect us to be at our best all, all during the day and as, and try as we might to be productive all hours of the day, that's just doesn't work with our bodies. So on average, they say after the workday begins, employees take a few hours to reach their peak levels of alertness and energy. And that peak does not last long, not long after lunch, those levels begin to decline, hitting a low at around 3 PM. We often blame us on lunch, but in reality, it's just a natural part of the circadian process. And then there, they do talk about, and this actually does happen to me. So I'm totally the same. If I, I'm really good first thing in the morning, you get a few hours of awesome work. Then you take lunch and then you're, I always same as this person just said, you think you're tired because maybe you just had lunch or whatever. But I, then i sometimes do find myself at like, I'm done work at five and at five, I'm like, I'm really like motoring through this stuff. Like I was dead all afternoon and now I've like got this little burst of energy and it's, I'm supposed to be going home, you know? And so, but that sounds, and I, and I know people like my boss, for example, will sometimes come at the end of the day and and want me to like fix something by the end of the day. And I'm like, I can't like I, my, I will look at it in the morning. My brain is done. So I know that for her, like that's a better time. So I know everyone's not exactly the same. Um, but it's interesting that we all have the same kind of, um, we are all in tune with this circadian rhythm as they suggest. And I find too, even like, um, working from home. Sometimes I, I do, I find myself, um, just being like, I've hit a wall and stopping working, but then I might work. If I have a burst of energy on a Saturday morning, I might work for a couple hours on a Saturday morning, some solutions. So this person that we're, that we're, we were just chatting about with the, uh, talking about with this, you know, is suggesting that maybe an ideal work week work day is around closer to six hours. And they've seen some success with that in places like Sweden. Um, there's, a, I don't know if you've heard about this four day work week. 
So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that you do all your out like this. It's so there's, there's, you do more hours. Let's say you did 10 hours a day in a four day period. That's not what the concept of the four day work week is. It's like you do an eight hour shift, like your regular shift, but you only work four hours and you get the same amount of money. So that's interesting and sounds. And when I first heard that, I was like, well, no one's going to go for that. But then when you hear about, you know, the Ford uh, industrial revolution, and that is exactly what they did, you know, they, right. they cut down time and they paid them more and they saw uh, production go up. So um, some benefits of the, uh, that they found with this four day work week is increased productivity and equal workplace, which again, probably goes back to some of the things we we're talking about about um, gender equality, uh, better employee engagement, a smaller carbon footprint, um, just with people having to go in less. Yeah. Um, some, dis- some, some disadvantages, of course, were customer satisfaction. So if no one's in on a Friday, they're people who are trying to ca- call in aren't as happy. Uh, I'm the wrong approach. So they really very much distinguish it from uh, like not putting all your time into four days. It's very much like you work your regular days for four, get paid the same, whatever. So, I mean, you're, I guess technically your hourly wage would go up, but your salary, I guess, would remain the same. And, uh, and then there, there've been like I, Bill Gates and I've, I've actually heard a, a lady talk about this. So the idea that, and that I really like this idea, and this has been done in, uh, the Netherlands since like 1995, but the idea of having like, uh, an office, but it's all dropped down and you have spaces like coffee you have to have coffee spaces to have a meeting, but every employee can drop down and work, but they all have the full capability to work from home. And so that kind of is a bit of the best of both worlds. It's that um, you still get the interaction at work. There's still a place to go, but you know, the businesses get the benefit of not having to buy the same amount of space, maybe buy a second building, buy a second floor. Um, and so that's an interesting way of looking at it too. So um, so yeah, so I just, I, I think it's, I, my conclusions are that, um, you know, so, sometimes change takes a long time. Um, but I, I think that this, hopefully the COVID working situation will be kind of like a bit of a paradigm shift for businesses and realizing that people aren't just going to work from home and take full advantage of the company. And that there's, and I, I mean, for me, I, I, I know that I'm, some of those distractions listed and, and I like, you know, having the interactions with people at work as well. And I wouldn't give up work. Um, I wouldn't give up going to work ever, but um, I like the idea of flexibility a lot. And I think um, the research of our bodies and the science of everything kind of backs it up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's so interesting what you said earlier, Kristen, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that it, it might take a pandemic to change the workplace. And um, then I, I, I started just thinking about the Second World War, which was a massive contributor to more women working mm-hmm. in the workplace, right? Because right. Uh, more women were working here um, as part of the overall war effort. And once the war was done, it was both seen that women were as capable, as mm-hmm. well as it allowed women um, perhaps some freedoms um, financially that they didn't have before. So yeah, sometimes it does take these major events to kind of push forward where we are already slowly going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just think that I, it just seems so bizarre to me. And maybe I would feel the same way if I was in like a, a boss position, like a, a management position where 
just that it was this overarching feeling. I do believe, and I've seen it in multiple places, just that people just thought that if people worked from home, you just wouldn't get the work out of them. I mean, I think the danger, and I see it too, like I'm right now on my work couch. I don't have a second bedroom for an office. And I, I think I would look into it further, but like the dangers of things being so melded, like I got a work laptop when I started working from home. I was always able to like kind of like log into my email and maybe do some things, some projects if I had like sent them to myself or something, but the ability to have access to every file I would need to do everything I do at home, it really never turns you off, you know? Yes. And I remember hearing a lot about that at the beginning or even kind of a little bit into the pandemic when they were saying, you know, the importance of being able to separate work and home when everything is happening in the same environment. Yeah. And a lot of people, yeah, like like you, don't have space for a proper office. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say the majority of people probably. So you're setting up in a common area. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, especially if you've got, you know, more than one person in the household that is working from home, do you, do you need two separate, completely separate workspaces? Right. And yeah, um, it's, it's, I think that's really important. Um to treat a yeah I mean that's a whole I feel like that's almost a whole other topic that was super interesting thank you Kristen oh thank yeah you. very good well Kate very. have you got some good news for us <laughs> I do my good news story um it's not really a good news story it's just kind of something that makes me happy um okay. and so maybe you guys have heard about this um well I hope that you all you guys know what Crocono is the game? Yeah, the game. Where you're Ah, the 60th best game according to Board Game Geek? Yes, I'm very familiar. Ah! <laughs> ranking of Crocono. I feel like I know what it is. I would just need to look at it. Yeah, so it's a board and you um you use your hands and you ping it across. Um the the and there anyway, it's a it's a game. Um but they've come up, well, I guess not that long ago, a couple of women in Winnipeg actually invented um crocono curling and so it's basically you set up on a piece uh, on an ice rink a crocono board and instead of pinging little discs with your fingers you use curling stones um and so I thought first of all I thought that was really interesting what made me happy was somebody took it upon themselves in one of our friends neighborhoods in um in Bonavista to make one home make one of these because as you know with the pandemic restrictions um you can't do much but you can do outdoor activities at a at a minimum so they made one in their community a huge ice rink crocodile curling board and then homemade curling stones with I guess two with using two salad bowls filling them with cement and then like a makeshift pipe coming up with it and then they just and then they just left it they left everything you need so that people from the community can go use this and so um I dropped Nick off uh to play a couple of games with his friend Jesse um out on this big so So I thought that was really cool that's so fun no one's gonna steal a big Bowl full of cement, you hope. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> also, it's Lake Bonavista, so I feel like it's it's fairly civilized over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. People are that so is awesome. Yeah. That was a great news story. Thanks, Kate. Well, I hope you found what you were looking for. 